Hi there. Welcome back to the Real Film Chronicles podcast. As always, I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And in this week's exciting episode, we're going to discuss a little film called Robocop. Really good. Half machine. Robocop. What is he? He's a cyborg, you idiot. All hero. What are your prime directives? Protect the innocent. Let the woman go, or there will be trouble. Uphold the law. You are under arrest. What is this shit? Justice gets an upgrade. Looking for me? Robocop. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. <laughs> Why did I have a feeling you were going to say little film <laughs> Robocop? And it's just like, I can't imagine a worse descriptor for this movie than calling it little. This is one of the biggest films, I think, of both of our lives. This movie is off the charts in popularity and how much I think both of us love it. Fair to say, like this is a five-star heart movie on Letterboxd. Oh, a hundred percent. This is one of, for me, in my mind, like Paul Verhoeven's like sci-fi trilogy of like Robocop, Total Recall and Starship Troopers are just oh, some of the best films ever made. Um, maybe it's just that they, they speak to me or maybe our generation specifically, maybe to us specifically, but like, Robocop, I go back to there's one of those movies like almost on a yearly basis. Definitely at least once a year I'm, w- I'm watching this movie. It's just a phenomenal film and it gets better every time you watch it. I- I'm kind of ashamed to say, like going I've been recording my movies on Letterbox for pretty much ten years now. And when I recorded Robocop a few years ago when I picked up this Arrow Deluxe Blu-ray edition. Yeah. I hadn't recorded it in over eight years. Eight years. It's like something is wrong with me. Maybe I'm just trying to explore new movies too often, but it's yeah. really important to go back to these classics because this is a movie, if I, if I see it on TV, I'm going to watch it randomly. That happened a lot more years ago when we all had live TV. And <laughs> I'm just thinking TBS showing like these edited, like censored versions of these movies. It didn't matter if the movie was censored. I'm going to watch this thing from start to finish every time it comes on, but it's really something I lose sight of is revisiting old films that really are good. And it's kind of comforting. If you see a string of bad movies or you're, you're getting a little tired of some of the new movies, how they kind of feel the same and they're a little generic, you go back to something like this and, and think, wow, this is, this is what I love about movies right here. And it's so easy to just watch it with no distractions. I'm not tempted to pick up my phone. I'm putting up the volume. Everything about it is fantastic. Robocop came out in 1987, as you said, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Do you recall the first time you saw this? I mean, we're going way back to when we were, <laughs> we were too young to watch this when it first came out. Like, do you, much, what was this movie like when you were a kid? <laughs> much young. This was like one of the Forbidden Fruit movies, right? This is in my own personal Garden of Eden. This was like Forbidden Fruit. I remember one time, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember this one time, I think back when there were things like Blockbuster, or in this case, West Coast Video, video rental stores on VHS. Yeah. So I think what had happened was we'd gone to the, the video store, we'd rented a bunch of movies, 
And back then, you didn't have the internet to tell you exactly what was in every movie. You had to go by the yeah, back yeah. of the box. And my, <laughs> I think my parents rented that, and they threw it on, and I was just a little kid at the time. I couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 minutes in when they they were like starting to fast forward through bits of it, and then just, like, just turn it <laughs> off entirely. They realized like it was, there was no way like, the little kids could watch this. Yeah. RoboCop is special to me because it was a double feature, RoboCop and Total Recall. I think one of my first R-rated movies that I saw. Nice. It was I was homesick one day from school and I had I was like I had nothing to do. I was on the couch trying not to puke my guts out. And I watched back to back Total Recall and Robocop. And I don't want to maybe it's a little bit melodramatic to say that they changed my life, but I can't help but think now it's like how formative they were um and foundational they were in kind of my love of cinema and establishing that kind of yeah, foundation yeah. that baseline and then going back and revisiting films like robocop and like watching it when i was younger and it was just like oh there's this crazy action movie with incredible special effects that still hold up today um you know like just everything's so memorable about uh and, and it was ultra violent action movie and then watching it again and again and just seeing the different layers that paul verhoeven and and all the people involved in this movie built into this and how on the surface it's this in your face ultra violent action movie but mm. there's so so much depth to this movie and so much more going on which we're going to touch on in the briefest way here because you could go on for hours dedicate thousands of pages to breaking down <laughs> all the all the different themes and all the different levels uh that that robocop works on and, and that it explores but it's just yeah it was it's kind of foundational for me. So like, what was your experience uh, with RoboCop? Was it as, as uh, you know, as spiritual as, as mine? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I don't really remember the first time I watched this movie all the way through. I have memories of it when I was younger. And I, I just got to say your story. Watching the the Verhoeven double special there, Total Recall <laughs> yeah. and RoboCop, like back to back. I mean, that's an experience every film goer should should have like what a one-two punch of, of greatness there. And you're right. Like these movies, both of those movies really yep. molded by my interest in cinema. it's just something that always stuck with you. There's so many scenes that stuck with me. I mean, uh, there's a ton of great one-liners in this film, <laughs> which you could quote to high heaven, but there's so many, yeah, like you said, there's layers of things happening here that I think, you know, subconsciously when you're younger, we would have picked up on. And I think we grew up in the eighties where there was a lot of corporatization of, of, of stuff going on. And these movies were a direct product and commentary on those things. So I think we sort of grew up with that in mind when we saw these movies, just like, oh, I can learn from Robocop as like, we don't really want to privatize the police force here. And while we may be too young to grasp the concepts, of yeah. it, these movies are kind of teaching us a lot about uh, society and, and, these different issues that are going on. Well, I think the RoboCop is pretty prescient in a lot of themes, which we're hopefully going to dig into here. But like, yeah, like talking about, you look in the eighties and like the, the big bad corporations were the bad guys. And like, now it's like, well, look what's come to pass kind of in terms of like corporate greed and like the yeah. power the corporations have certain corporations who we're not going to name names or maybe we will maybe Disney, maybe others. Who knows? Well, it, it's it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously one of the things that it, it sort of, quote unquote, like predicted was really the, the bankruptcy of Detroit. I mean, the movie takes place in Detroit, yeah. depicts a bankrupt Detroit, 
And that's where you bring in these corporations to fund something like the police. And even the corporation here, Omnicorp, OCP, in the movie, <laughs> I don't think I caught this before, but there's a line where they said, most of our business is in nonprofit sectors, basically insinuating that they are oh. functioning as the government here, right? Uh, and they're, they're giving money to all these things to keep these cities going with the ultimate goal of essentially tearing down Detroit and building on top of it. Delta City, a <laughs> utopia where all the corporate greed and, and villainy can go wild. But it's like, yeah, Detroit, I think I read in 2013, it went bankrupt, right? I mean, it, it's in shambles now. There's entire suburbs and neighborhoods that are just abandoned. Yeah. And they look like scenes from RoboCop. It's it's kind of eerie. Yeah. Well, I think going to your point there about the the corporate culture that they're like the, the foibles that they point out, they specifically talk about um, the nonprofit sector in healthcare and prisons, they mentioned yes, yes. specifically in that corporate presentation, which I never picked up on as a kid, as an adult living in Canada. So we have, it's not necessarily the same, but like understanding kind of more about the politics um, and differences in the United States and how everything's a lot more privatized in the States. Mm -hmm. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, this commentary now, this makes sense now in that, you know, having this American Hollywood film obviously directed by Paul Verhoeven, who is not American. He is, oh, is he Danish? Dutch. Right, Dutch. So like having that kind of outside perspective, um, looking at American society and having that yeah. kind of, I'm going to say that kind of distance or that kind of perspective. Um, yeah, all of a sudden is like looking at like, yeah, how healthcare and prisons are run in the States is like, that's a, those are pretty like powerful themes that they're, they're weaving in there, right? It's uh, before we move on to other things, like, touching back to when I saw this as a kid, one of the elements that, one of the scenes that stuck with me, probably gave me nightmares, was near the finale of the film, they're fighting oh my God. RoboCop in the, oh my uh, God. like the abandoned, like steel factory or something. Before and you the say it, I know exactly yes. what you're going to say because this messed me up for years too. I still see right? this in my nightmares. Yeah, 100%. The guy, RoboCop tricks this guy into driving into a giant tank of toxic waste. Oh. And this is really important because toxic waste, when we were kids, was just the catch-all for doing anything to anybody. <laughs> I mean, toxic waste might give you superpowers <laughs> or it might melt your skin, right? But it was always this ever-present danger. It was like quicksand and acid rain when we were children. Yeah. Whereas it's like, I thought I was going to encounter quicksand when I was older. <laughs> I thought for sure I'm going to see vats of toxic waste on my way home from work every so often, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the things movies have tried to teach me when I was 10 years old. So this guy drives in toxic waste, comes out, and he's just, his skin is literally melting. Like, there's this awful scene where you can see, like, the bone in his hand coming out. His, his thumb is melted off the bone. And his his boss, the another villain, uh, Boddicker, oh. is driving in a high-speed chase with, with a police. Uh, and he basically, at the very last second, sees this guy in his decrepit, melted form runs him over, but it doesn't really run him over. It explodes him when he hits the car, his guts, everything, just a, a wash. Oh. It was like going through a car wash with his body all over the vehicle. And it was just like, what a horrific piece of imagery, but so memorable. Probably the biggest thing I took away from that movie and replayed in my mind a million times. Absolutely terrified me. I'm pretty sure, I don't know how plausible it actually is, but it felt just enough on the edge of plausibility. It's like, oh, 
that toxic waste is kind of breaking him down and melting him. So of course, like when yeah. that car hits him, like it, it makes sense that he just explodes and he's liquefied yeah. essentially. It's like, I don't think that would li- really happen, but like, it's like, there's enough <laughs> kind of scientific grounding there to make it <laughs> like, but it could possibly happen, right? It, it could possibly happen. I mean, it's toxic waste. You really don't know what you're getting into with that stuff. It's just like, I love that this abandoned factory just has this huge vat of it just sitting there. Like anyone could have just got into that thing and caused all sorts of issues. But it was interesting uh, What bringing it into more when we're teenagers. And I think we started watching this uh, probably together in, in university uh, is finding out about the different cuts of the film and the censorship that the film underwent. And the movie was being sold. It was designed and sold as an R rated film. And they brought that R rating to its absolute limits to the point where the film was under threat of receiving an X rating. And apparently that was one of the scenes that the censors had an issue with was this guy exploding over the hood of the car. And they, they basically said, you got to get rid of the scene. But in all test screens of the movie, that was the number one scene for audiences. They said, we cannot remove that scene. Like that scene is what people are going to be talking about after the movie. So it absolutely worked perfectly. And there were other elements that got cut out. I don't know if we want to talk more about the censorship there. So I remember going into a rental store with you, and I think we encountered a uh, the Criterion edition of RoboCop for Rent. And it's like, yeah. oh, here's the like unrated version of this. And we're like, oh, there's, a, there's even more amped up violence. Because there's the scene where Ed 209 basically obliterates this poor... Uh, a corporate guy in the boardroom, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm reading that there were over 200 squibs on this dude <laughs> exploding, right? I believe it. It was just like, it was ultra violent to begin with. And there's going to be more violence in an X-rated cut of this movie? Please. It was bananas. But really, it was only a few seconds here and there. But they ended up cutting to get down to an actual R rating. Yeah, the, the X rating, I think the X-rated version isn't nearly as salacious as it sounds. Yeah. Compared to, I, I think the version I just watched to get... uh ready for this episode was the director's cut, which is again from that arrow, the arrow special edition is the Blu-ray. Unfortunately I bought the Blu-ray and then the, I think the 4k, yeah, yeah. Probably, it was probably knowing my luck. It was probably announced the day after I picked up the Blu-ray version. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the director's cut is the original X-rated cut that okay. is more seen now than the actual theatrical. Uh, and is definitely like the preferred version. If you're going to have a choice, just watch the director's cut of this. It's a few seconds of extra violence. Unless that stuff makes you real queasy, but I think it's important <laughs> to see that extra violence in this satire film. Yeah, hundred percent. But I think touching on that to kind of frame our discussion moving forward, I just wanted to bring up. I wanted to go like all school teacher here, um, get back to my literary <laughs> roots. But we talk okay. a lot about. I think not just we, as in you and I, but I think in general we talk about um, the term satire, especially with we're talking about something like RoboCop. It is satire, but just to kind of put everything, just to kind of put everything in perspective, I just want to like read a definition of what satire is. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm interested. <laughs> to refresh our, our perspective, but also I know that a lot of people out there, because I, even as an English major, sometimes I get confused between like satire and parody and caricature, but it's an important distinction to make specifically between satire and parody. So I just want to quickly get, bring this, this podcast to a screeching halt with some literary theory because <laughs> that Hit us. we can always cut this out <laughs> after don't worry <laughs> that's, that's the spirit okay so simply um satire can be described simply as a way of criticizing the society people or concepts in the society with the use of humor 
irony or ridicule as opposed to parody, which parody is a literary work that imitates the style of something or someone in an amusing way. Parody is also known as a spoof, send up or lampoon. And so the two highlighted differences here, the final aim of satire is to make the audience think, is to critique society, to make the audience think about the underlying um, elements of our society. And the aim of parody is to make the audience laugh, right? To amuse the audience. So RoboCop falls firmly in the camp of satire, but I yeah. thought what we're talking about, because we're obviously, you can't talk about RoboCop without talking about uh, its social commentary um, yeah. because it's so prevalent in the film. It is what makes the film um, great beyond obviously the, the amazingly, you know, well-constructed narrative and, and well-shot film, but just to kind of put things in perspective when we're talking about some of the themes within RoboCop here. Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled um, broadcasts now that the boring stuff Very is well over. Said. Very well <laughs> said. Yeah. <laughs> Proceed as planned. Yeah. Well, yeah. The movie wouldn't work without being a satire. Satire, And it's like, it's kind of nice here where you can enjoy it on that literal level. I think if you just wanted an action movie, because I've heard the term body, uh, a body count film. And I mean, that's what this film is. Like every few minutes, you're going to get a body being pumped full of bullets, <laughs> lots of squib work. And I mean, you obviously have the sci-fi element here that I think works so well, but right from the get-go. And I love Verhoeven's use of, of media and newscasts, right? To really poke fun, like really set firmly in place that this is a satire. These people are caricatures, right? And it's so brutal because it's like the newscasters, they're all smiles, while reading about these horrible, horrible things that are going on in the world. And it's just like, oh, these people are fake. A lot of the stuff is just like yeah. put on for show, right? Well, I think um, one of the ways in which um, RoboCop was really, really like ahead of its time um, in kind of predicting some of this stuff was, as you say, the movie opens with this fake in-universe um, news broadcast about um, potentially like, like warring factions in South Africa with like nuclear capabilities mm -hmm. and there's riots and unrest. I think there's like a, there's a war in Mexico where like the Mexican government and the U S government are cooperating. This is all false events that are happening within the continuity timeline yeah. of, of RoboCop. But yeah, this sensationalization of stories and fear mongering to sell the news and viewing of the news as a product to be sold, I think is really evident here. And I think that's something that's kind of come to pass in our modern media landscape, where it's more about the 24 second news cycle as opposed to the 24 hour mm -hmm. news cycle, where it's just about like clickbaity titles to get more, you know, listeners or watch or viewers or yeah, audience yeah. members to get so you can sell more stuff to them. And so I think like in terms of sat satirization of the media, that's a huge one. Like you're saying too, kind of that desensitization and dehumanization of the actual subjects of these stories. Like the newscasters mm -hmm. are, they're grinning like coked up jackals, which like yeah. being the eighties, <laughs> they probably were coked up, but they're discussing yeah. all these horrible things. Like you say, and they're just like, like it's nothing to them. And like, there's no weight behind it. It's just like, Oh yeah, this terrible stuff happening. And it's like brought to you by Yamaha, um, <laughs> artificial hearts. Yeah. And the, yeah, the commercials really just like cut to commercial on like these pure luxury objects. Like obviously the 
6,000 SUX vehicle that's like the the envy of everybody. And it's just like, this is I think it gets, uh, advertised at eight miles per gallon. Yeah, it's just like, this is something that's celebrated, gallon. right? <laughs> but I love that um, the newscasts are, they provide that element, but they also provide context for the world we're about to watch. Like we're, we're being told that Detroit is going bankrupt. It's really run down. But with such a limited budget, they can't do too much to really like show a disheveled, Detroit, like the city streets are going to look poor, but we need to know how the city, like, is it just going to be the city that's poor? Is it going to be all of, all of America? Is it going to be all of the world? And we get these little news bits here. It's just like, yeah, there's crazy things going on here. There's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. It's like, this is kind of a symptom of a greater global issue in the future. Does it ever tell us what year this movie takes place in? No, I think smartly it doesn't actually mention any yeah. any dates. But uh, yeah, the media, those media clips are used not just for in terms of like exploring the theme, but like you're saying like to great narrative effect where like all of a sudden it's like we're learning all about this world in a really, really um, streamlined way and a really yeah. um, entertaining way because um, like like as uh, as disturbing as those newscasts are and like the juxtaposition between the subject matter and those uh, and the two hosts there, which I think one of the hosts was actually a host of um, Entertainment Tonight at the time. Mary Hart. Mary Hart. Yeah, it was it was her, right? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it was like it was a, it was a great way to talk about um, all the actual social and political context in which the movie takes place in terms of like, yeah, you're looking at um, the, the poverty um, and, and the divide between the rich and the poor again, very uh, prescient uh, theme here you're looking at um, labor rights and union rights in terms of like the the police um, wanting to yeah go on strike because their working conditions are so deplorable and they're getting killed off in record numbers well he mentions at one time it's just like there's five police officers killed per week and it's they want to go on strike they got to do something yeah. to solve this problem and it's i mean the, it's so interesting it's just the government is selling the the police to this private corporation, OCP, and their solution is not necessarily more police or anything. It's like more efficient police and like automating police work instead of protecting the existing police officers. And that's how they kind of come up with a RoboCop program. I love that there's two parallel like cybernetic research groups going on in the corporation. One has created the Ed 209, which I'll just say absolutely terrified me as a, as a kid as well. It would always give me nightmares and even watching it today. I mean, it, animalistic is, is how you describe this. And they use even Ed 209 has like animal noises. Like I'm sure it's a mixture of like lions and tigers and things when it's moving around. What is ED? It was an enforcement drone. I think I never paid attention yeah, before, so. but it stood out. There's even watching this again. It stood out to me. It's like, Oh, ED was not just a random yeah. word. OCP was not just random letters. It was like, oh, it's yeah, it was Omni Consumer Products. It's like, oh my. Yeah. And so much can I just say, like, this. the OCP, like, logo, like, a graphic designer created this thing for the movie and just how incredible it looks. Like, I love the 80s graphic design that goes into all these movies. Like, you want to talk about, like, Alien and Aliens and all this stuff, Blade Runner, they all have incredible logos from these corporations. I just... Absolutely love it. Well, it shows just like the thought that they put into every little detail of the film. Like that OCP logo, that looks like a real actual corporate. It does. Like I could have sworn looking at it is like, I'm, I swear to God that I've seen similar logos right. for corporations that I've worked with in my in my day job, right? Like, And I think that says something too, where this fictional corporation that is so blatantly evil and, and misguided 
is so firmly planted in our real world, right? Like this is coming from the corporate eighties America where, yeah, I mean, these were the villains of our movies growing up. I remember saying before a lot of the villains we had growing up in movies and TV shows were Ronnie Cox. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely Ronnie Cox was in there a lot in our movies, but like real estate agents, like companies buying land, that was a big factor in in movies and, and motivations are just like, no, we don't want corporations owning everything. And then literally 35 years later, we still have this going on uh, in, in real world. I mean, we have uh, companies buying up land and uh, properties and, and yeah. not just physical properties, but like intellectual properties and stuff and just doing with it as they please. And here the, in RoboCop, you have essentially a corporation buying a human being Alex Murphy, the cop who gets brutally murdered, that scene is just horrific to watch, but it's just, wow. And here is the fight. Here's one of the things of the, the, the movie is just his fight for being human. Like is RoboCop human? Like where's his identity lay? And it's just like, it's about him regaining some of his humanity and a bit of his soul that was being purchased and controlled by these corporate interests, right? Well, I think that fits into the overall theme too, is like the other, one of the other elements that um, the movie is satirizing is obviously like you talked about, you know, the, the proliferation of corporate power within our society and how corporations use their power and leverage their power to get more and more power. Um, where you look at OCP is um, literally they're building an entire city, Delta City, yeah. over old Detroit, which they're going to presumably run all the services. So there's a corporate-owned yeah, city, not unlike um, Orlando, Florida, that Disney based, or the, the city that basically uh, Disney runs. Um, well, that's the thing is a lot of cities are corporations to begin with. I mean, they are their own corporation. They become incorporated, right? yeah, but they're still yeah. public entities, right? Yeah, exactly. But they also, like, there's a big plot point in the movie – um, how they essentially the the Detroit police were privatized to like they were bought up by OCP. OCP also owns a lot of military interests as well. But I think the whole thing about it's about um, overall this dehumanization and this valuing of money and profit more than human life. Yeah. Um, and really kind of honing in on that. Um, and one thing I never picked up on um, watching this before. Um, Morton played perfectly by Miguel Ferrer, a favorite actor of mine who unfortunately passed uh, a couple of years back, mm-hmm. but he was great. And I think we were talking about it last time. We we're talking about it and we talked about the stand and he was in the stand miniseries from back in the nineties. And I loved him in that just as a little aside to make everybody sad um, about losing one of our, of our great actors Thanks there. For that. Yeah. Good. But he specifically mentions, cause like Alex Murphy, who's the cop who eventually becomes RoboCop. He said he he was transferred to this um, Detroit police station. He didn't know why he was transferred, but then Morton makes some comment to one of his cronies about, "Oh, we specifically about you know one of these cops that we transferred is probably going to give us a viable product or whatever or corpse, so, like a psych, like he, yeah, like a psych profile, like yeah." yeah they were specifically did. putting police officers knowingly in in these high risk areas where they knew that they were going to get killed but they were looking for somebody who they could declare legally dead that they yeah. could then because once they're declared legally dead there was some loophole where they essentially they could do whatever they want with well, them they signed they signed paper the cops signed paperwork yeah. saying their bodies are no longer theirs after death it's just like you, it's like donating your body to science except this is a private corporation that 
you've given your body to. Yeah, because so they wanted, I think, to combine the real-world experience of a police officer with the the strength and kind of precision of the the technology that they were working on, right? So, like, a, you know, yeah. fully kind of armored body and, like, all the, um, you know, computer um, software and um, data banks. I'm talking like I'm from, like, the 1980s, data banks, <laughs> like, memory. memory. It's legit, <laughs> man. It's legit. It. <laughs> but the whole thing is about, like, they're constantly even before they literally turn somebody into a machine, like these corporate cronies are, are treating people just as a, they're, they're a commodities. They're things to be bought or sold or used, yeah, yeah. not, not people to be respected, whose dignity needs to be respected, whose autonomy needs to be respected. Um, at one point Jones played by Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox was just like, he was the villain in, <laughs> um, Total Recall and RoboCop are just like the perfect yeah. '80s scumbag corporate villain, but he gets gets super mad at Morton for um, you know undercutting the Ed Two Hundred Nine program with the RoboCop program, and he, in that it's very telling in that scene um, where he says like something along the lines he says something along the lines of the Ed Two Hundred Nine program about like who cares if the damn thing actually works. Right, we could sell yeah, yeah. we could sell this to the military, and we could sell sell have, spare yeah. parts for twenty years, like the Razor model. Yeah, he says they have yeah they have contracts to sell parts for years already. So it's yeah, just so like he they're making even, their money regardless if they make a product that works. Urban pacification. He didn't care about actually helping the community at all. Yeah. Like at least like Morton is kind of a, a a dickhead. Like he's he wants to. It's about him climbing the corporate ladder. But he creates yeah. RoboCop to actually like work. He like it actually makes the community you know, better that's totally legit that's completely legit and it's it's it is visible in the movie it's just like this guy is a scumbag but not nearly as bad as the guy he's competing with yeah and they're all just different layers of villainy and they all work to, together right i mean we find out he's working with Boddicker to basically kill these cops right because Boddicker is this guy he's who's a, a cop, known cop killer he's i think he was like 27 or more police officers he's killed is this kill count like 31 or 35 cops officially on that yeah. newscast like it's something like really high and when you link that with what you just said about how these corporate guys are basically like feeding him information because they own the police and they're trying to get a dead cop to fit the robocop program well it makes sense that this guy is such a prolific cop killer that's his mission he's being paid to specifically kill these cops that are being fed to him also i think we mentioned clarence Boddicker a couple times here yeah. We got to point this character out. Played again to perfection. The <laughs> casting of this movie is just all oh, like whoever, I don't know who the casting agent was, but they, it was perfect. Every, every role in this it's was perfect. Point. But like Clarence Boddicker, played by Kurtwood Smith, who I think to a lot of people, he was known as the dad on, uh, on that 70s show. Yeah. I was going to say Family Guy, but that would make literally no sense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Kurtwood Smith, who played like the scummiest of scumbags. Yeah. Um, which is like super memorable lines. Like, all right. One of the first scenes we're introduced him to, he's in a, in a, a chase. Like they just robbed a bank or robbed something. They yeah. Have bags of money. And he has a crew. The back of the van opens up and they start shooting <laughs> at the cops. Right. But one of the things he does is he immediately just takes one of the henchmen that's working for him and throws him out of the back onto the hood <laughs> of the, of the car can you fly, Bobby? And then tosses him out of the car, right? So cold. It's so just cold. like, it's so cold. 
But I don't know if it was Bobby who accidentally burnt all the money because all the money's burnt. So the job was basically wasted, right? Yeah. I don't I don't think he cared because like he was also like that guy he threw out was also shot in the leg, but he's like he didn't care. He's just using him as human Yeah, yeah. human ammunition, human projectile. Like, again, like that dehumanization, right? I think yeah. I think Clarence Boddicker plays into that and it's a different angle because you we find out later that he's actually working for Jones. Like Jones yeah. like they're they're in bed together. So the corporations and the gangs are in bed together. Uh, uh, <laughs> again, it's like, uh, I think that's pretty prescient in terms of, uh, you know, look at the specifically cause like Clarence was in the drug trade as well. And like to see yeah. corporations, um, working on the back end with the drug trade. Um, I think there are some obvious parallels there, to there's, and there's nothing <laughs> subtle going on in this. Movie. No, <laughs> this is just all up front and center. Right. You don't have to worry about missing these connections. But Clarence Boddicker, <laughs> like Kurtwood Smith is just like, he plays oh, brilliant. one of the greatest on-screen villains of all time. And he's just like, you can tell Kurtwood Smith is loving every second of it. He is chewing that scenery in the <laughs> best possible way. It's it's just an amazing performance. And you like, you hate this character, but you're um, transfixed by him, right? Like it's, oh, it's yeah. amazing. Oh, he's mesmerizing. Every, mesmerizing. All the characters really the are, yeah. What did you think of uh, Peter Weller as RoboCop himself, Alex Murphy, the poor police officer? Um, yeah. Again, from a narrative standpoint, amazing economy of storytelling. We learned so much about this this character, this police officer, in such a short amount of time because essentially his first day getting transferred to this new uh, police station in downtown Detroit, which downtown Detroit is basically a war zone at this point in this movie. And we learn that he has a family and he has a kid. We learn about roughly their relationship. And he's like doing that little, little, little things like that whole gun spinning thing, right? Was, he's doing yeah. that to impress his it kid. So much character. Yeah. But it's then uses a later plot point where his, um, his partner there played by, oh, Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen. Yeah. What's the partner's name? This character's name? Um, Oh my goodness. Uh, Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, of course. Officer Lewis Officer. and Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis. But she, but she recognizes that spin later on when he becomes RoboCop and nobody knows who he actually is. Cause he's yeah, wearing yeah, that, yeah. that mask. And she's like, Oh, that spinning trick. So it's like little things like that. Just planting the seeds, like really simple, but effective storytelling tools. Yeah. I was going to say, I really love that. Yeah. Nancy Allen, like Lewis was, Alex Murphy's partner for a few hours before he's killed, yeah. right? And she remembers so much about him. And presumably months have gone by. Uh, RoboCop is there, and he doesn't—he's not partnered up with anybody. But she just encounters him in the precinct every so often. You know, sees the the gun twirling, and in the hallway, it's—it's it's not like she has a quest throughout the movie. Be like, she doesn't immediately know. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is my old partner. She pretty humanly asks him, just like what's your name? Like nobody's ever asked RoboCop his name. Yeah. Right. It's just like he has the chin. Like he is a human in there. People don't know how much human is in there from the, from these other cops perspective. It's just like, yeah. who's your name? You're obviously a cop before, but like so many of us have been killed. Like what is your name? And it just sets his programming in motion for the rest of the film. Just like really discover who he is. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no. Yeah. Peter Weller, um, as Alex Murphy. Um, yeah, he does like, I think Peter Weller wasn't really necessarily appreciated as much at the time, but I think his performance, you know, he, he packed so much um, pathos into that character at the very beginning. And that, and that scene where Alex Murphy is brutally gunned down by the gang. Like first they, 
you know, they, they chase him into the, I think this is it the same steel mill chemical factory at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. I don't know if it is or not, but he thinks he gets a drop on some of these guys. Um, but they turn it around on him. And like when, um, Kurtwood Smith, um, Clarence Boddicker, um, you know, is playing, toying with him with the shotgun and he, the, and he strikes the first blow and shoots his hand clean off point blank yeah. range with a shotgun. Oof. And then like the reaction when Peter Weller gets up and he's holding it and he's like, you can like acting like he's in shock. He's just, like not the pain and like the pain and all that hasn't set in yet. He's in complete shock and he's wandering around and the look on his face, like that's, that's acting, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, capital A acting. And then when he gets brutally gunned down, like his one arm gets shot off. He's getting shot. Like again, that uh, I think there's another level of, of satire going on where I think Verhoeven has specifically talked about um, the level of violence in American movies um, and the obsession with violence in American movies. So he, he yeah. made the violence so over the top in RoboCop specifically as a, as a commentary on that to see it's like, Oh, you guys liked violence. Like here's, as, here's like the most violent violence yeah, yeah. you can possibly see to take it to like its logical kind of conclusion. But like yeah. when he's getting shot up and then eventually um, Clarence Boddicker goes up and just shoots him in the head to finish him off. Something for me in movies or in, or just in, in general is like whenever somebody loses a limb, that really that really gets to me because like there's something so permanent about yeah you know amputation or or that kind of maiming where it's like if you if you get paralyzed it's like there's a there's a slight chance you could like heal and, and walk again but like yeah. if you lose your legs or your arms it's like there's no like currently our prosthetics don't go like aren't aren't that advanced it's like it's, a, it's there's something so permanent about that loss of of a body part right Something yeah. so like almost, almost again, fitting with that th- theme of like dehumanization. So I think even there's something really unsettling when they go through the montage of like building RoboCop from RoboCop's perspective. Or well, I was going to say Murphy's this probably was very unsettling when they're rebuilding them and the doctors would be like, "Good news, we saved his arm." Yeah, it like it the opposite arm that wasn't shot up. Yeah, and the corporate guy is just like, you know what? Lose it. Yeah. Just lose the arm. It's just like he really doesn't care about the human inside. Yeah. Like, I thought we, we agreed may as well on, go uh, full. I love that line. I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Yeah, which is <laughs> just so gnarly that you think about. And he's like, "Yeah, no, lose the arm." I was like, "What are you talking about? You can't just like cut away at this person. Essentially, like cutting away his humanity, like in a metaphorical yeah. sense, but literally cutting away all the human body parts on him is like, it's like it's played kind of." He walks that fine line between like that whole montage of when he and like Alex Murphy is periodically waking up as they're like yeah. building the Robocop or turning him into Robocop. And he just sees these flashes of like, I love that when they have the grid and it's like they're screwing yeah. the grid screen in, <laughs> into his visor there. <laughs> the grid just keeps getting closer to the screen yeah. the more screws they put in. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, there's something so unsettling about that. Like, like being like you're powerless there as they're doing as this corporation is making all these modifications to your body and like chopping pieces of your body off and replacing them with other pieces of technology. Um, yeah. It's when you actually start to, when you actually stop to think about that, like beyond the surface level, like there is, that's really, really horrifying. That's like, like David Cronenberg level body horror, (laughs) um, like mess you up for life kind of horrifying. Could you imagine a Cronenberg RoboCop film 
Uh, I guess probably closer <laughs> we got to bad is something like Existence uh, a few years later in the mid-90s with a lot of cybernetics and, and body parts. Brian, but. pretty much half my day spent wondering <laughs> what films would have been like directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> oh my goodness, for sure. And then in RoboCop, I mean, we have the whole pursuit of identity and Alex Murphy re-emerging from the RoboCop shell to sort of like take over himself again. And the corporation has put in these prime directives, you know, uphold the law, do this, do that. There's three of them. And then there's like a fourth hidden one. And there's a, there is a nice montage where RoboCop is just like going on terror, beating up criminals, shooting people. Well, the great thing about him is like, stuff. he's actually effective. He's actually reducing crime. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. not just like arresting people, but it's like almost like a superhero kind of, it is like, obviously there's, there's parallels to be made. It's yeah. like RoboCop as a superhero um, movie or like comic book movie. Was like no criminals are starting to become afraid and like crime is going down just like because they know yeah, that yeah. the threat of like RoboCop could be could show up and like uh, you know shoot rapists and in the it, dick you know which is like <laughs> well that's the thing like he's so brutal like he he's all he's pure efficiency which is such a corporate thing like you just want to be as efficient as possible when he shoots that criminal in the dick and the the woman who he just rescued is like, comes up is like thanking him so much and he's just so coldly he's just like. Yeah, I can put you in touch with a uh, a crisis center, and uh, there's help for you. And uh, you know, I I'm out of here. Like he's not good. Like the other guy, he didn't shoot up. The other guy's just sitting there cowering in fear. He doesn't arrest him or anything. He just jumps in the car and leaves. And that's what I love about the like that corporate efficiency of police work. There is zero like community service going on here. Yeah. There is a little bit later on where it's just like he's he's surrounded by kids, obviously at some kind of function at a school. And the kids are clamoring all over him. And the police, sorry, not the police, the, the newscaster asks is like, do you have any advice for the kids? Stone Cold looks at the camera, stay out of trouble. Because <laughs> trouble means I'm going to shoot you, right? Yeah. And now you have this unsettling thing where it's just like, I think RoboCop would shoot a kid if he was just following his programming all the way through, right? It's just like, it's really... Like this guy is a force of nature that is kind of terrifying. It's the danger to that, yeah, corporate efficiency that sometimes like, oh, well, you're you're getting the results you want, but you're also getting unintended consequences um, from yeah. like follow like if you're having to follow those strict protocols. I think that kind of speaks to you look at corporate programming, right? We always we talk about when when corporations are found dumping chemicals into lakes or they're found defrauding um, investors out of money. And we always talk about corporations as this, as this abstract entity, yeah, but yeah. corporations are always made of people, right? Yeah. And we thought, and we think it was like, well, why would those people do those things? Why, why would they prioritize people's like profits over people's health or profits over people's lives or profits over people's well being? And it's because they're in this system that we create, we create a system called a corporation that incentivizes above all else profit. And that gets programmed into people's brains, not the same way as a computer program, but that kind of social programming and people start to follow that programming. So there's that again, playing that whole over overarching theme of like dehumanization versus yeah. like, like you, you were talking about Alex Murphy's journey to find his humanity again in this dehumanizing world this dehumanizing it, system there there's a book and i wish i could remember the author but the book yeah, is called the corporation our listeners, it was, uh, do too probably <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> after the fact sorry what was but it called one of my uh, the corporation the corporation and it's just this really chilling look at exactly what you're talking about these corporations we treat them like people and we refer to them 
in the same way as we refer to people. Yeah. And the basic conceit is just like, all right, if this person that is this corporation were to take any kind of psychology test, they would come up as a sociopath yeah. or psychopath. Like these are not well-adjusted citizens that are uh, like contributing to society. These are dangerous, downright like fringe behavior things. And one yeah. of my professors in, in, in college recommended this book and honestly it kind of changed my life. Like it, it, it's kind of funny thinking even years later that the foundation for this book was laid into me in movies like RoboCop yeah. and all these other ones where we see a lot of villainous corporate behavior. And here I am going to university to study business. <laughs> and I'm just That's like amazing. knowing full well that like when I'm a kid, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want to work at a place like Omnicorp where it's just like people are so afraid of the boss that they're going to run out of the washroom without washing their hands or they're going to pee on themselves <laughs> as they try and get away from the urinal as quickly as possible, right? Great scene. But in your mind, when you're a kid, you're like, oh my goodness, like businesses are going to be pretty cutthroat. Like I got to prepare myself for that. Reading that book and learning his stuff in in university like completely changed my perspective on all that. And I mean, for personally, like going more into nonprofit sectors, uh, can be a little more fulfilling than some of that stuff. And obviously, I mean, these are satire, like these are amped up to the, the nth degree, but the fact is we hold these corporations to a totally different standard and yet try and humanize them at the same time. Cause that's what people do. I mean, we humanize everything. I mean, all the talking animal movies. I mean, we, we try and do everything, bring everyone to the human level. Right. And then we judge them as such. Yeah. It's super interesting. And I mean, the, Fighting for your identity is just like, it's so literal here. And it's such a, uh, almost like a trope where the human soul, like you, even though you've erased the memory and tried to squash all these, these feelings, the human soul will bring them back up. Right. It's just, it's kind of like the matrix we talked about a little while back, right. where it's just like, even though you're going to control all these humans and put them into a simulation, the human spirit will come through no matter what. There's no amount of programming that could be done. And what I like in RoboCop here, he doesn't really overcome his programming. He remembers his stuff, but he can't break directive number four, which is like harming or arresting an OCP officer, right? And he basically uses his detective work and stuff, shows the evidence and gets the, the guy fired. And as soon as he's fired, this is also kind of twisted. Like he clearly takes pleasure in killing the this corporate guy who was controlling him, right? He's just like, doesn't just shoot him once to kill him. He shoots him like four or five times. And I thought it was kind of, well, you see him from the back and like the squibs are coming out almost like in a square pattern in from the back of this guy. So it's like, oh, right. no, he's not killing him to die right away. He's killing him. So he falls out the window and then falls to his death. He's just like, Robocop wants this guy to suffer, right? He's just like, he's not a, an efficient killing machine anymore. He's not efficient about it or else he was just one burst to the chest. No, no, this guy is now human. He's fully regained his self. Well, yeah. In such a kind of violent dystopic movie, it's like oddly kind of the, the core message of, of Robocop finding his humanity is like oddly um, hopeful and uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> like in the, at the end where it's like, oh yeah, like he actually, despite having like 90% of his body replaced by, you know, technological metal yeah software parts that at the core like something about the human spirit he's able to fight back against his programming fight back against the uh 
the metal body that was given to him and and there's still something that humanity was more than just the body that he lost for some reason so go ahead i did want to ask you now you rewatched the movie recently right yeah yeah talking about the directives can you list the directives <laughs> I, I can't i can't i i swear just the one was like <laughs> uphold the law it was like that's number three number yeah one. protect the innocent that's number two so you got two and three though what's the first one um wow i yeah i have no idea you're gonna have to spoil me here serve the public trust serve the public trust protect yes. the innocent uphold the law before any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I did not study for the test. Which again, was something I never really noticed before, maybe paid attention to, but that scene where he tries, he goes to arrest Jones, AKA uh, Ronnie Cox for the first time there. And he's like, he's like, he's writhing on the floor. I was like, I thought yeah. it was just like, Oh, it prevented him from arresting him. I was like, no, he was, he was, like fighting using through sheer force of will, his human will, yeah, yeah. he was going to be shut down. Like his program was, was shutting, was like essentially going to render him unconscious and un, unable to yeah. act. So he was like fighting to stay awake there, which I didn't yeah. really pick up on before. Again, showing like, with that theme of like the, the strength of the human spirit or the human will being able to overcome those, like, you know, the, all the, all the technology and all the programming I thought was, uh, was really powerful as well and it, it, it tied it tied so well in with the theme like uh oh, so well written yeah. so well directed and edited pretty amazing there's so much ed newmeyer wrote the film uh he does a bang up job we'd see him pair up with verhoven again for starship troopers uh and he's done some other uh some other stuff there that's also also pretty solid but when i was re-watching i was kind of surprised that robocop remains masked for pretty much the entire film and he only brings off the mask near the very end in the climax of the movie when he fully is is reassembling himself. He takes off his mask. He's reassembling himself in his own way, right? Because before he didn't have a choice. Yeah. Uh, where he's just like given this body, and now he ha all he has is his face, and he chooses to expose his face. Yeah. It was just like another step forward. And I think it, maybe I'm just thinking of the sequels more so where it's just like unmasked, like frequently it was just like not a big deal. But this one was a big deal. It's just like he finally gets to reveal himself. And also they basically hire Peter Weller initially because he has this killer chin that's going to fit in the costume perfectly, right? <laughs> they weren't wrong. But can we talk also as an aside here, or maybe as a main talking point, like the makeup effects, um, especially oh, like geez. with RoboCop and when he takes that mask off. Yeah. That, was that today would have been so done, well done with um, CGI and it wouldn't have looked yeah. nearly as good, but to have the practical effects where it looks literally like his face is kind yeah. of plastered on Amazing. this um, um, essentially kind of metal skull that's exposed. Um, and you see how yeah. little humanity he has left, but just like it's so unsettling to see that. And it's done amazingly with these practical effects and prosthetics. So incredible. Yeah, all the special effects of this film are just so good. I, obviously, there's all the blood effects and whatnot. The Ed 209 robot, uh, d probably built on different scales. Yeah. Really terrifying, really interesting. There's a, there's quite a bit of stop motion for for Ed 209, and they don't overuse it in the movie, uh, so it doesn't look too uh, janky. Like, I think of the second one, there's stop motion with the, the Kane robot, and it's just like, it looks pretty poor, even though the yeah. budget was like doubled or tripled. Uh, they really use their budget very well here. Amazing, yeah. All the production design, like they, like you said, like they really use their their budget effectively. They were almost like like um, financial snipers, like just 
like putting that money exactly where it needed to go at exactly the right time. Yeah, every, everything about it was was great. So do you have anything else to note about this before I jump into some uh, overall details? And I kind of want to talk about RoboCop's legacy and the franchise. Uh, we got three theatrical follow-ups to this first RoboCop film, and we got to mention them at least a the, passing. Three free theatrical follow-ups? Three yes. theatrical follow-ups? What? Those two. Obviously, RoboCop in 1987. Yeah. Uh, RoboCop 2 came into theaters in 1990. Yeah. Uh, RoboCop 3 was released in 1993. And then we have the remake of 2014. Oh, that doesn't count. Get him in there. It, it counts regardless. And then Boomers. we have numerous TV series. We get a couple live action shows. One in 1988, right after this was... Movie. I recall one of and them. Then we get a Canadian production in 1994. That's the one I think I remember. Yeah. And then we have, uh, I think, a couple of animated ones. There was RoboCop Alpha Command in 98, <laughs> and then RoboCop Prime Directives in 2001. And it's just like, how did you guys wait so long to throw Prime Directives onto a movie or TV <laughs> series, right? It's just like, it's such a core of what RoboCop is. Yeah. But to give you an idea, RoboCop, the first movie, 1987, $53 million at the box office. Okay. Budget of $13 million, has a letterbox score of a 3.9 out of 5, IMDb 7.6. What? Very big. Number two, box office $45 million on a budget of 25. So double the double the budget, doesn't do as well. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2.8 on letterbox. IMDb is a 5.8. Number three, now we're digging into it here, oh, yeah. 1993. $10 million box office on a $22 million budget. 6% on Ron Tomatoes. 1.9 on Letterboxd and 4.1 on IMDb. Very poorly received. 2014, these numbers might surprise you. Box office, $58 million. Take one guess at the budget for RoboCop 2014, though. Um, I'm going to say probably like 60 or $70 million. Double that. Double hundred and thirty million dollar budget. I was trying to be Estimate. conservative. I didn't. Right. That's a, that was a hundred million dollar movie. Ron Tomatoes gave that forty eight percent, two point four on Letterbox and six point two on IMDb. So statistically, it is uh, the second highest rated RoboCop movie, uh, which kind of yeah. puts in line. I don't know if when was the last time you watched RoboCop two and three, or even the twenty fourteen version. Okay, confession time. I've watched RoboCop. RoboCop 2 and the remake, but I have yet to see RoboCop 3. Ooh, man. Well, this was an opportunity. This is a, this is an opportunity for you to go check about. And to give you some background, because uh, I have more familiarity with 2 and 3 because they were written by Frank Miller, who I really enjoyed as uh, a comic book yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, author. Obviously, he did 300, which saw a big uh, uh, theatrical release, uh, Sin City. He did an awesome Daredevil run back in the 80s. Like He's done some pretty good comics and gotten into some weird yeah. stuff but he wrote number two and three um apparently from what i read on imdb trivia is that there was a writer's strike between 88 and 90 i'm not sure exactly when but ed newmeyer had written a couple drafts but they basically had to reject them they fired him because he refused to work throughout the union strike right which is kind of fitting for the first uh, movie. Yeah. It's issues with with unions of it they bring frank miller in and he ends up writing the the second two movies which really are vastly inferior films on just about every level. I still have a, a bit of heart for them. 
because you know I, I saw them many times growing up and they are get pretty wacky i think in number three there are samurai robots because a japanese corporation <laughs> uh, purchases ocp wow. in the second one they try and build a robocop but put them into an even more hardcore body and use criminals instead of police officers. And of course the criminals are going to be criminals. What could possibly go wrong? And yeah. I mean, that's where uh, I think I mentioned before the Kane robot, like they use this guy Kane, who's basically a mass serial killer, uh, does some really awful things in the RoboCop, uh, in his robotic body, of course. Yep. The remake 2014, I did end up rewatching that right after watching this RoboCop movie. I, I'd probably put it at about two star for myself. It was not great, but yeah. it wasn't as bad as I thought I had remembered it being. It was pretty milk toast. Yeah. It seemed to take a lot longer and it's about 15, 20 minutes longer than the first RoboCop. It takes longer to tell less of a story. I think <laughs> like, it's not like I kept thinking about efficient filmmaking. It's just like, Oh, you know, we have newscasts here, but we have very extended uh, news in the form of Sam Jackson's. Uh, yeah almost like his his talk show right but it still has that remains like that gotcha journalism and has some more modern takes on it. but a very different film very different takes a lot more focus on his family which we only see in robocop uh, his family through flashbacks it's like mm -hmm. the, his wife and child have moved away from detroit after he's declared dead it's just like the family is gone apparently there were some drafts and some of the scripts to include uh robocop's father who was going to be like a hardened uh, police officer as well. Oh, interesting. But um, there's all sorts of stuff. I don't know anything about the TV series. There was never ending supply of video games based on the series. And just a quick story about RoboCop on the NES. My parents were gracious enough to gift me this video game. I love RoboCop. And it's, I mean, just a quick thing to say, like how crazy it is that such an R-rated <laughs> film with ultraviolence oh, yeah. like this is takes off with kids and stuff obviously <laughs> people who are seeing this should have seen this but we're all playing this these video games and what drove me crazy is that robocop can be killed with regular bullets in the nes game it's just like no no robocop's invincible to this stuff people are just shooting with handguns oh he took drove like me crazy as a kid literally thousands of rounds of yeah. ammo at one point at point blank range when like he's with their you know jones calls in is like oh robocop tried to kill me and he's trying to frame him for murder. It's yeah. like they call the police force to put him down. It's like literally shooting with <laughs> thousands of rounds, like and from like assault yeah. rifles and stuff too. It's like, and it's the, almost does almost nothing to him. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, uh, I mean, obviously the, the film is a satire of, of corporate greed and whatnot. And then here we are fully merchandising the movie and aiming it at kids. <laughs> it's probably important to say films two and three, were PG-13 movies. Like they said, no more R rating. We know kids are buying RoboCop toys. We have to push more RoboCop toys and stuff on kids. So even in number three, he gets, gets a jetpack, of course, too, right? Because that's a great addition to an action figure. I mean, oh God. it's just, it comes full circle, basically. Uh, it, was, it was pretty wild, but the first RoboCop movie, I have no more words for it. It's just one of the best films. I don't know if it if you ever make a top 10 list, is this in your top 10 movies of all time? Oh man, I've stopped trying to make top 10 right? lists of <laughs> movies a long time ago. Cause there's so many great movies out there, but like, it's, it's funny too. Cause like my kids will make fun of me now. Cause like, like I want to have like movie nights every once in a while. Yeah. Like I have my big room full of movies here and I'll pull out, a, I'll pull out some movies like, Oh, this is like one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> and like, they're like, dad, you say that about every movie you pull out. It's like, no, not everyone. 
but this here is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's like, Dad, you say that about every movie you pull out. <laughs> but like, RoboCop is one of the best movies ever made and one of my favorite right. movies of all time. It's true. It's true. It's Oh, my goodness. It's great. I mean, you look at just as, a, as an action movie, it holds up. Um, it puts most modern action movies to shame. It puts most movies in any in any era to shame. As a, as a satire, um, you know, working on these different levels of like, you know, corporate greed we talked about of, um, you know, like labor rights in terms of like at one point, like the police actually do go on strike and we see the consequences of that. Um, you know, the um, satirization of um, the media. And then one thing we didn't, we talked about kind of in a roundabout way was like the transhumanism aspects, which I don't know if that mm-hmm. would have been, if that was really kind of a word back then even, but with like Alex Murphy being um, essentially all his body parts being replaced by um, artificial counterparts. And even like there was that commercial at the beginning of the movie where it's like, Oh, you can like, you can get a new heart. You can like they're by Yamaha yeah. and other companies, like not because you need a new heart, but because like it enhanced your performance. Right. But like our relationship with technology, it talks about, it talks about um, uh, the relationship between corporate corruption and, you know, street level corruption. And it, it talks about like um, our obsession with violence at the same time that it, it kind of like, it works as like a, on a visceral level of like, like the catharsis of, of experience, experiencing violence through an artistic medium. It's also kind of pointing the, the finger back at us and saying like, why do you enjoy this violence so much? Right. It's like, what is it about you? And it, yeah. it makes you start to think about these things. Like, well, why, why am I enjoying violence so much? Right. Like what is it about our culture that um, incorporates so much of these, this violent imagery and to the point where like we get desensitized to it or we expect it or it becomes normal to us. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's this crazy, like RoboCop is this an amazing amalgam of, you know, this eighties action movie that asks all these really deep fundamental questions about our society and about like what it means to be human. And it's just like that kind of, of depth and that kind of kind of merging of those two um, elements um, in such a perfect way. Um, you know, it's a, a perfect story, perfectly told. Yeah. It's just, it's, this is one of the all time great movies and I think it's, it's through the test of time and it will continue to stand the test of time um, for generations to come. Without a doubt. I'll just, I'll just add one thing onto the end, which I kind of forgot. I should have taken more notes here when I was doing it, but uh, when I was doing a little bit of reading on it, it's just like, oh, this is an early cyberpunk film. Oh, like it's a cyberpunk genre. Right. And one of the reasons they said so is obviously the combination of uh, cyborgs and, uh, you know, human and machine. Oh my. They said they, they don't, the film never judges RoboCop for being what he is. Yeah. And I thought that was really important. And I think I kind of lost that point earlier when I was talking about uh, Lewis basically just asking, it's like, what's your name, right? It's like, you are just another person. Like you are a thing here that we're not scared of you. We're not like envious of you. You are another thing here. Like you're another person and like you have a name, right? And it's like, I thought that was a really important message to get into the movie was just, this uh, even with all these cybernetic enhancements, and obviously in this society, there, there's the commercial for the robot, like mechanical heart. But they never refer to any characters in the movie with cybernetic implants or anything. Evo clearly they would have that stuff going on here. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was a really uh, nice uh, uh, thing to throw in. Yeah. Well, I, the film. I like that. 
he reclaims his humanity, even though he has this, you know, largely artificial body. And it's always yeah. and it's that juxtaposition between Lewis, who just like asked him, was like, oh, what's your name? And wants to get to know him and wants to like, yeah, just like is talking to him on a human level versus like Morton and the other executives who are like, you don't talk to him. He's not a person. He's a product. And so it's like, mm-hmm. it's not the technology yeah. itself that dehumanizes people it's the way in which that technology is used in the social framework like from a corporate perspective it's about turning using that technology to control people and turn them into a product that they that can be consumed or sold and for for the police service and and for robocop it's like oh i can do my job more efficiently and like save people's lives and stop crime and then like you're saying like lewis is like and the other cops is like they don't they care because he's intruding on their territory without their consent, obviously. Yeah. But they, they don't judge him as a, as a human being. They don't, there's no judgments like, Oh, mm-hmm. he's not human. Like Lewis is specifically instrumental in bringing out, uh, helping him refine or rediscover his humanity. She's kind of instrumental in his humanity reemerging. So like, yeah. like you're saying that a transhumanism and that cyberpunk kind of mentality is like, yeah, it's not about, like the body necessarily it's more that kind of it's the state of mind it's the human spirit that that yeah. kind of transcends all to get kind of high and uh kind of get intellectual here uh <laughs> philosophical we're gonna break it down a notch here yeah let's throw in a fart joke or something here brian and we're getting uh <laughs> we need another intellectual. quote here quick <laughs> bitches leave oh my god yes <laughs> Such a <laughs> such a brutal scene too. It's just uh, what was he shoots both his knees. Oh, I can I can feel uh, that every time he shoots him with those and those squibs and everything. I feel my kneecaps. I get that phantom pain, <laughs> and then the grenade there, the extra long grenade, and he blows him up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh terrible. <laughs> oh, I'd buy that for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> that was the other thing I wanted to mention. <laughs> I forgot. I should have taken a better note here. Where there's something to be said. Like they, they didn't really talk about like, you know, the rich and the poor here that much. But one thing they, they commented on was the, the commercial or sorry, not the commercial was like a game show or something. I think it was like a sitcom. It's supposed to be like, it's an universe sitcom. Yeah. So it's a sitcom and the guy's tagline, I'd buy that for a dollar. The corporate guys are watching and laughing at it. And the, the criminals on the street level are watching it like in the store windows and laughing at it. It's just like, everybody's watching the show doesn't matter if you're good or bad or what you are. Everyone's watching this and everyone's loving it. It's the great equalizer in that universe. Yeah. Or you could look at it the other way and saying it's like, oh, well, how are we being manipulated again by the media and by the the shows we're watching? Yeah. Right? It's like, no matter whether, no matter whether you're like, you know, working class or ultra wealthy, you're still being manipulated by the media. Ooh, conspiracy, 5G, lizard people. <laughs> All hail Zorp. <laughs> Oh my God. The 6,000 <laughs> SUX. I love that too. The 6,000 sucks. That's amazing. <laughs> well, uh, that commercial with the dinosaur that comes in. Yeah. That yeah, is fantastic. Just... <laughs> you have a, uh, a Robocop line for us here to sort of wrap things up. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> That's a wrap on another episode of the Real Film Chronicles podcast. Thank you for listening and hanging out with us today. We really appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us for the next episode. 
We can be found around the internet and social media, with our home base being realfilmchronicles.com, which will have all the links you need to follow and keep in touch with us. Until next time, take care of yourself and others, and keep your film journey going.